Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts? Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. While the Sex Pistols, guided by Malcolm McLaren, acclaimed with spearheading the punk movement in the UK, with Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious as its poster boys, and The Clash took punk rock in a more diverse musical direction, another band was quietly racking up a string of firsts. First punk rock single to be released, first punk rock album to be released, first British punk band to tour America, and the first UK punk band to split up and then reunite, many times. That band is also still performing and releasing new material to this day, more than 40 years later. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Band Biographies is proud to bring you the story of The Damned. Raymond Ian Burns met Christopher John Miller in 1974 while working backstage at the Fairfield Hall Arts, Entertainment and Conference Centre in Croydon. Both were heavily into music and trying to make their way in the mid-70s London scene. It was after seeing T-Rex play at the Fairfield Hall that Burns decided he would take music seriously as a career. He was already a member of Johnny Moped and the Five Arrogant Superstars, a pub rock band that went on to be remonikered Assault and Buggery and the Commercial Band before reverting to the shortened Johnny Moped by the beginning of 1975. Meanwhile, Miller, now known by his stage name of Rat Scabies, 
had managed to get an audition with London SS after its original drummer Gear Wade and guitarist Mick Jones quit, with Jones going on to form The Clash with Joe Strummer. London SS was one of the first UK punk bands, formed in early 1975. It only recorded one demo and never played live. This band is more famous for its revolving cast of musicians who went on to form bands that mostly became very successful, including The Damned, The Clash, Chelsea and Generation X. Scabies didn't make the cut with London SS, but he did catch the eye of Malcolm McLaren, who was looking to put together a punk band after returning home from managing the New York Dolls in America. McLaren wanted this band to sound like the Ramones and Television after seeing them play at CBGB's in New York. He chose Chrissy Hind, an ex-shop assistant from the sex boutique he ran with Vivian Westwood on London's Oxford Street to play guitar, and Scabies to play drums. Scabies called up Burns, who had renamed himself Captain Sensible, to play bass, and McLaren enticed a sex boutique customer and gravedigger David Lett to sing. Lett took up the stage name of Dave Vanian. He was an early adopter and pioneer of gothic fashion, dressing as he did like a vampire, so Vanian was a play on the word Transylvanian. In 1976, he was described by the enemy as resembling a runaway from the Adams family. The band is only known to have performed once before a small invited audience in a church hall in Lisson Grove, London. However, not long after this, they called it a day due to McLaren's obsessive need to control their activity. McLaren went on to achieve the success he craved with the Sex Pistols. Hind joined Johnny Moped and eventually formed and became a global superstar in The Pretenders. After the breakup of this band, Scabies and Sensible decided to form a new band, and Scabies contacted Brian James of London SS to join them. Initially, the three weren't convinced about having Vanian as their vocalist, so they invited Sid Vicious to audition. But when he didn't turn up, Vanian got the job by default. Thus, The Damned was formed. The Damned played its first show on the 6th of July 1976, supporting the Sex Pistols at the 100 Club, and again on the 20th of September, alongside the Pistols and Susie and the Banshees. It was pretty scuzzy, wasn't it, if I remember right? Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite sort of um, thrown together. And, and <laughs> I guess a lot, of, a lot of people that were kind of there didn't even play that well. It was bizarre. It, was a buzz. it didn't end well, but um, I suppose it was a good idea. The Banshees featured Vicious on drums, who, holding a grudge against them because they chose Vanian over him, believing that he'd been given incorrect information about the audition, and in a fit of anger, threw a glass at Vanian. The glass missed its mark and ended up blinding a female gig-goer in one eye, which led to his arrest and brief imprisonment at the Ashford Remand Centre. While McLaren and the Sex Pistols cycled through a number of major record labels before finally settling in at Virgin Records, the damned was snapped up by independent label Stiff Records. Stiff was formed by Dave Robinson, who had previously worked with Jimi Hendrix, and Jake Riviera, who had managed pub rock band Dr Feelgood, whose frontman, Lee Brillio, loaned the pair £400 to start the label in the early 70s. The first single released by Stiff Records was Nick Lowe's So It Goes on the 14th of August 1976, which sold 10,000 copies. However, Stiff's biggest successes would come in the 1980s, with the likes of Madness, The Pogues, Tracy Ullman, The Bell Stars and Kirsty McColl. So it goes, so it goes. 
On the 22nd of October, five weeks before the release of the Sex Pistols' Anarchy in the UK, Stiff put out its third single, The Damned's New Rose, making them the first UK punk band to release a single. The B-side was a fast-paced cover of the Beatles' Help. Produced by Nick Lowe, New Rose was recorded in one day and begins with Vanian giving a deadpan delivery of Is She Really Going Out With Him from the Shangri-La's Leader of the Pack. Is she really going out with him? Before Scabies' manic-pounding drums come in, followed by James and Sensible's fast-paced, high-pitched playing and Vanian's shouted vocals. The song doesn't pause for breath for the next two minutes. It was described by critic Ned Raggett as a deathless anthem of nuclear strength romantic angst. Sensible thought that the first single should have been I Fall, as it would have been even more gobsmacking because it's so snotty and fast. New Rose peaked at number 81 in the UK singles chart. The Damned were invited to support the Sex Pistols on tour after the relative success of Anarchy in the UK, alongside The Clash and Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. However, The Damned were kicked off the tour after the first date due to tensions between McLaren and the band. But this wasn't a huge disaster for them, as the rest of the tour was beset by cancellations and protests, and in the end only seven of the 20 dates ended up taking place. Just after New Year, The Damned and Nick Lowe went into Pathway Studios in London and began recording a full-length album. After just 10 days of recording and mixing, the master tapes were completed on the 15th of January 1977. On the 18th of February, Damned, 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 the first full-length album by a British punk band was released. The cover photo shows the band members covered in cream after photographer Peter Kodik, the man who just a year later would serve Sid Vicious with his final fatal dose of heroin in a New York hotel room, instigated a food fight between the bandmates. Sensible's face is almost completely covered compared to the other members, and when he saw the result of the photo shoot, as well as the fact that he was facing away from the camera in the photo that was to be printed on the back cover of the album, he went to a photo booth, brought back a picture, and asked if it could be put somewhere on the back cover. This clipping can be found at the bottom left of the picture on the back of the album, stuck over the floor monitor between himself and Vanian. I wanted to have something to show my relatives because I didn't think we'd be invited to make another album, he said. Little did he know. Stiff Records was known for its strange and quirky promotional activity, including provocative slogans such as If it ain't stiff, it ain't worth a fuck, as well as alternative packaging designs like the various versions of Ian Jury's second album Do It Yourself, that featured at least 31 different wallpaper designs, ensuring each was a collector's edition. This was the brainchild of graphic artist Barney Bubbles, who designed a lot of the early Stiff album covers, including the packaging for Damned Damned Damned, which only features one use of the band's name. But the plastic wrapper placed around the album included the repeated words and the food fight splatters that made up the full album title and artwork. Copies of the album with intact wrappers, either slit open or sealed, have since sold for between £200 and £500. Versions that were deliberately misprinted with a picture of Eddie and the Hot Rods and an Aratum printing error sticker on the back cover have even gone for more than a grand. 
The album peaked at number 36 in the UK album chart and has since gone on to be regarded as easily the equal of anything put out by the group's peers and certainly more experimental with regards to creating light and shade with sound and tempo than Nevermind the Bollocks, for example, with songs like Feel the Pain being more akin to the Velvet Underground than the Sex Pistols or Buzzcocks. I'll take a chance on the wild. The NME praised the group's musical ability, saying in a review of the album at the time that the damned have all the residual skills needed for the actual performance of exhausting modern music, stating that James was the most effective powerhouse guitarist since Pete Townsend, and concluding that the album as a whole was a highly professional production and is much more convincing than some of the other new wave bands that I've heard on record. The second single, Neat Neat Neat, is another no-holds-barred assault on the ears, led by Sensible's blistering bassline, Scabie's manic drumming, with James's guitar stabbing through and providing a counterpoint to Vanian's vocals. But despite the song's catchiness, it failed to chart, most likely due to Stiff releasing it on the same day as the album. The band went on tour to promote the album in March, even opening for T-Rex on their final tour. A nice close of the circle, bearing in mind it was seeing T-Rex that inspired Sensible to form a band in the first place. Later that spring, they became the first British punk band to tour the United States. According to Brendan Mullen, the Scottish-born founder of The Mask, a club in Los Angeles that only existed between 1977 and 78, but was a key venue with the emerging LA punk scene. The Dam's first tour of the US found them favouring very fast tempo songs like Fish and See Her Tonight, helping to inspire the first wave of West Coast hardcore punk. In July 1977, The Damned released Stretch A Case Baby as a limited edition single. The song was cut by American record producer Shel Talmy. Only 5,000 copies were ever pressed, but none of these reached record stores. Instead, the majority were given away at the band's one-year anniversary appearance at the Marquee Club in London, to fan club members, and 250 were given away by the NME as prizes for its crossword competition. The recording itself is a messy affair, and was eventually re-recorded for the band's second album. That August, Robert David Edmonds was added as a second guitarist to expand the band's sound before heading into the studio to record their follow-up album. Edmonds was only ever credited as Lou, which was short for Lunatic. As well as Lou, the Damned brought in Lowell Coxhill as guest saxophonist on the final track, a five-minute song called You Know, which was as close to a prog rock song as you could find on a punk album. At the time. The newly expanded band tried unsuccessfully to recruit reclusive ex-Pink Floyd frontman Sid Barrett to produce the album, settling instead for his former bandmate Nick Mason. Being from the prog rock fraternity, Mason was used to a slower, more composed recording schedule. For example, where Pink Floyd might have spent a day setting up microphones and tuning their instruments, the damned expected to have recorded several entire songs. The first official single from these recording sessions, Problem Child, was released on the 28th of September. Despite the song's catchy hook and the addition of Lou, it didn't chart in the official Top 75 
although it did reach number 27 on the NME chart, which used a different sample of record shops. In November, the album Music for Pleasure was released, and was promptly panned by critics because the frenetic pace and sub-two-minute songs of Damned 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 had been replaced by longer ones that seemed to want to show off an evolution. It's not a bad thing for bands to want to expand their sonic palette and to experiment, but the Damned were deemed not to have increased their proficiency and skill, or songwriting chops for that matter. In fact, all these elements worked together to highlight the sloppiness of the Damned when they played at a slower tempo and over longer periods of time. Whether this is the fault of the Damned, Mason's production, or Stiff, is the subject of much debate. Overall, it's likely to be a combination of Stiff wanting a quick follow-up to Damned, 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 the pressure this put on the band to try to breathe life into materials that was either still being worked on or not good enough to include on their debut, the expanded lineup not quite having the time to gel as a unit, and Mason's relative inexperience with producing, especially in the punk genre. In a contemporary review, Sounds compared the album to second albums by The Jam and The Stranglers, where the formula was to repeat the first album with a few minor modifications, more considered production, but almost inevitably with less freshness of impact. Trouser Press added that, with added guitarist Lou Edmonds and no audible stylistic plan, the attack sounds blunted, and there aren't as many great songs as on the first LP. Music for Pleasure doesn't live up to the title. Looking back now, it's still a messy sounding album. But the fact that The Damned introduced the double guitarist dynamic and began to blur punk with prog tendencies was a sign of how things would change only a few years later with the post-punk and new wave scenes. Music for Pleasure is the sound of a band struggling to find the next step in its career. Both Music for Pleasure and its second single, Don't Cry Wolf, failed to chart upon release, which led to the band being dropped from Stiff Records. Scabies was also displeased with the album and quit the band after the recording. He was replaced by John Moss, who played with The Damned until they decided to call it a day in February 1978, after which he went on to play in Culture Club. Each band member worked on side projects and solo recordings in this time. James formed the short-lived Tansda Youth, together with ex-Warsaw Pact bassist Andy Colquhoun, blues drummer Alan Powell and Tony Moore, who had just left the band that went on to become Iron Maiden on keyboards. Tansda Youth went on tour with Black Sabbath and released the double single I'm Sorry, I'm Sorry and Delay in 1978. James then played in Iggy Pop's solo touring band in 1979 and recorded his own first solo singles, Ain't That a Shame in 1979 and Why 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 in 1982, both with Stuart Copeland of The Police on drums. He would later co-found and play in Lords of the New Church, a goth rock supergroup featuring members of The Dead Boys, Sham 69 and The Barracudas. The band recorded three studio albums and one EP, along with several live albums from 1982 until their breakup in 1989. 1990 saw James release his first eponymous solo album. In 1993, he joined the Dripping Lips, who recorded the soundtrack for the film Abracadabra, released in the same year, as well as the album Ready to Crack in 1998. 
His second supergroup, the Racketeers, was formed in 2001, featuring Wayne Kramer of MC5, Duff McKagan of Guns N' Roses, and drummers Stuart Copeland and Blondie's Clem Burke. They recorded an album called Mad for the Racket. Since then, James has released four more solo albums, an EP, and three singles up to 2017. Captain Sensible released a solo single in 1978, a cover version of the punk band Elton Morello's Jet Boy, Jet Girl a song about a 15-year-old boy's sexual relationship with an older man, who then rejects him for a girl. The song has the same backing track as Plastic Bertrand's Sa Plan Point Moi. Scabies, switching from bass to guitar and keyboards, formed a one-off band called Les Punks for a gig in late 1978, featuring Vanian and former Hawkwind bassist Lemmy Kilminster, whose current band Motorhead was between albums and record labels. The Damned tentatively reformed with this lineup in early 1979, performing as The Doomed to avoid potential trademark problems. However, after a little while, Lemmy, who played on some studio demos and a handful of live appearances, felt he needed to focus solely on Motorhead, which was starting to find serious success, with the singles from its forthcoming second album, Overkill. To plug the gap, multi-instrumentalist Henry Badovsky from bands like Chelsea and Reckless Eric was drafted in until the position was filled more permanently by Algie Ward from The Saints. Ladies and gentlemen, how do... The band officially took up the name of The Damned again for a gig in April 1979 to support their comeback single Love Song after signing a deal with Chiswick Records, another significant independent label in the early UK punk scene. In this time, Vanian had changed his vocal delivery from the high baritone of the previous records to a smoother, cleaner style, while the band also established a more melodic style that was at times fast and loud and at others relaxed. Keyboards became a more dominant fixture thanks to the more democratic songwriting process employed now James was no longer in the band. Love Song opens with a joyous cacophony which explodes into territory more familiar to fans of the band's early work. Thanks to another catchy hook from Sensible and the added bonus of radio airplay, the song became the Damned's first hit reaching number 20 in the official UK singles chart and providing them with their first appearance on top of the pops. This was followed in September by what has become the unofficial anthem of the damned, Smash It Up. Released on the 28th of September, Smash It Up consists of a two-part structure with a bass-led jangly guitar instrumental section segueing into a mid-tempo pop-punk song that bears some resemblances to the more up-tempo songs of Fleetwood Mac. Rather than being political in theme, the song's lyrics criticise hippie culture referencing blow-wave hairstyles and Glastonbury hippies. However, the BBC didn't see it this way and banned the song from being played on its stations because it interpreted the lyrics to be anarchic in nature. Smash It Up only managed to reach number 35 in the official UK singles chart. However, the song was given a new lease of life in the 1990s, firstly by German punk band Die Totenhosen in 1991. 
but more prominently by US pop-punk outfit The Offspring, who recorded a version for the film Batman Forever in 1995, which reached number 16 on the US modern rock charts and number 47 on the Hot 100 Airplay chart. The Downed released its third album, Machine Gun Etiquette, on the 2nd of November 1979. The album featured more prominent keyboards played by Sensible. Recorded at Wessex Studios at the same time as The Clash were there recording London Calling, Joe Strummer and Mick Jones make an uncredited vocal appearance on the title track, and Strummer and Topper Hedden were uncredited on Noise Noise Noise. Fans and critics reacted with surprised positivity towards the album, which reached number 31 in the UK album chart, outselling Damn Damn Damn. On the 28th of November, the third single from Machine Gun Etiquette, I Just Can't Be Happy Today, was released. It's a schizophrenic, whirling dervish of a song that frankly isn't one of the best on the album, which was reflected by its chart position of number 46. Algie Ward was fired in early 1980 because of a strong animosity that had grown between himself and Scabies, who had just released his first solo singles, Wheel on Fire, as Rat and the Whale, and Millionaire, with Magic Michael and Captain Sensible. Ward went on to form the heavy metal band Tank, in which he sang, and was replaced in The Damned by former Eddie and the Hot Rods bassist Paul Gray. Later that year, after Grey had settled in, the band released its final album for Chiswick that had been recorded between May and July. The Black Album was released on the 3rd of November 1980. It was a double album with 11 songs on the first two sides. Side 3 consisted of a 17-minute theatrical song called Curtain Call and Side 4 featured five live tracks recorded at Shepperton Studios in front of damned fan club members. The Black Album marked a further evolution in the band's sound towards what would become known as gothic rock. Songs like Twisted Nerve, for example, showcasing a darker, slower, more atmospheric sound with Vanian's lyrics and voice moving in a darker direction. Track number 10, 13th Floor Vendetta, referenced the Vincent Price film The Abominable Dr. Fibes, opening with the lyrics Track 9 and one of the singles from the album is called History of the World Part 1 and was co-produced with the band by none other than Hans Zimmer now the award-winning composer of blockbuster Hollywood films like the Dark Knight trilogy, Interstellar and Gladiator to name just a few he also played Synthesizer on the record, which reached number 51 in the UK album chart. The band weren't happy with Zimmer's efforts on the single, and the liner notes credit it as overproduced by Hans Zimmer. Yeah. We gave him his first break in showbiz, <laughs> was producing The Damned on that track. It, it was something he hadn't done before. We and gave him a really hard time as well. And you know those, those kind of old Hollywood movies where they have the, uh, the director who struts around in the in the trousers and the 
You, know, you will do this, you will play that, you will, you know, he was just like that. Just like that. I don't want it like this, I want it like that! You know, and he was uh, really over the top. It was an interesting experience, because he, he was a bit of a megalomaniac. Perfect for us. <laughs> the history of the world, a small title, isn't it really, about inconsequentialness of a little globe floating in space. <laughs> in fact, it was obvious from the sales of the single that the public weren't that impressed either. Writing about History of the World Part 1, Smash Hits magazine reviewer David Hepworth wrote, The dam seemed to be making overtures to the mainstream, knocking timidly on the door of daytime radio and asking to be let in. With keyboards to the fore instead of the usual guitars, this is not unlike the kind of half-baked effort you'd expect from Supertramp if they were trying to grab a bit of new wave credibility. The second and third singles were released in 1982 by Chiswick Records' budget imprint Big Beat, even though the band had left Chiswick at the end of 1980. Wait for the Blackout was released on the 6th of May and Lively Arts on the 7th of October. Neither charted. After a 28-day UK tour to support the album starting in November with street punk band The Straps, the song Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde was released in the US by IRS Records to promote the Black Album across the pond. However, it failed to chart. The track is a four-and-a-half-minute mid-tempo song featuring Vanian's brilliant trademark baritone, crooning lyrics about the eponymous characters. Or should that be character? Freed from Chiswick Records, the band recorded and released a four-track EP in a one-off deal with the NEMS record label the next November, called Friday the 13th. Guess which date it was released. Featuring three new songs and a cover of the Rolling Stones' Citadel. In 1981, EPs were eligible to chart on the UK singles chart, and so it did, reaching number 50. In the same year, Captain Sensible released his first solo EP, This Is Your Captain Speaking, and on the 26th of June 1982 had the number one hit single with a synth-based cover of the Rodgers and Hammerstein classic Happy Talk from the 1949 film South Pacific. Happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you like to do. Backing vocals were provided by the pop-punk band Dolly Mixture. The unlikely hit came about at the end of recording his first album after Sensible had been instructed to find something he could do something a bit weird with and ended up choosing the song after rooting around in his parents' record collection. When the record label heard the finished recording, they smelled a hit, according to Sensible, who initially wouldn't let them release it. Well until they lied that a well-known artist from a big label was doing their own version and I'd lose my guaranteed number one. So I said yes, he said. Happy Talk topped the UK singles charts for two weeks. The success of the single launched Sensible solo career and he quickly found himself in constant demand for interviews on TV, radio and in magazines. He added, One minute I was living at home with my mum and dad and in a punk group and being the disgrace of the neighbourhood. And the next minute, everyone thought I was this wonderful novelty song artist. It was lunacy. He went on to have further success with the second single, What, in August. 
The song peaked at number 26 in the UK, 25 in the US, but fared much better in mainland Europe, where it charted in the top six in six countries. The full album, Women and Captains First, was released in September and produced by Tony Mansfield of the synth-pop band New Music, who had also produced the Friday the 13th EP with The Damned. The record label A&M signed Sensible as a solo artist after he'd taken them some tracks that had been rejected by The Damned for being too melodic. Sensible said Mansfield wasn't into the psychedelic guitar thing, he was into pop. I wanted his 80s synth-pop production on my records. The third single from the album, Croydon, failed to chart. However, Sensible would go on to produce six more albums and release a string of singles up to the end of the 1990s and a couple more singles in the 2000s. But none of the albums charted and only one single would trouble the charts in any serious way, 1984's Glad It's All Over. In October 1982, The Damned released their only album with bronze records, Strawberries. Bronze didn't miss a trick with marketing, producing a limited run with strawberry-scented scratch-and-sniff lyric inserts. The album's title comes from something Banian shouted at a punk crowd while playing new songs on tour one year. We had an audience that didn't want to hear anything. They just wanted to hear Neat, Neat, Neat and New Rose, nothing else. And they wanted to just smash everything. And they weren't interested in hearing music at all. So at one point I turned around and said, it's like giving strawberries to a fucking pig this gig, you know? And that stuck in our minds. And we used it. The album's cover image is a pig's head with a strawberry balanced on top. The band had now expanded into a quintet by adding a full-time keyboardist, Roman Jug, who influenced the sound of the band by introducing sampling and loops. Sensible expanded the sound of the band further by playing sitar on track 10, Bad Time for Bonzo, and enlisting his then-girlfriend Rachel Ball of the Dolly Mixtures to play cello on track 7, Pleasure and the Pain, as well as having brass on track 2, Generals. Critical response was largely positive, with most praising the much more melodic 60s pop-infused sound on tracks like Dozen Girls. It's a little schizophrenic as an album, veering between the psychedelic pop influence of Sensible and the darker goth rock of Vanian. In fact, this is the first album to almost completely shun a punk sound altogether. Reviewed at the time, Fred Deller of Smash Hits wrote, This is the kind of pop album Paul McCartney would be pleased to have his moniker on. In Sounds, Steve Keaton wrote that Strawberries is the damned at their most melodic and subversive, adding that the album manages to indulge both Dave Vanian's darkly obsessive gothic vision and the good captain's psychedelic whims without sacrificing any hard rock sensibilities. Strawberries should be the LP to grant the damned the recognition they've courted for so long. Trouser Press described the album as eclectic and inconsistent, but well-produced and boasting some fine tunes. Strawberries shows Sensible's increasing pop prominence and Vanian's willingness to explore a stylistic palette with no debt to punk. This sound not only reflected the musical differences within the band's songwriting, but also between the members of the band themselves. During the recording, Gray fought with Scabies over management and songwriting responsibilities and left the band in February 1983, going on to replace Billy Sheehan in UFO. 
and Bryn Merrick took over on bass. Strawberries produced two singles, Dozen Girls and Generals, both of which failed to chart. However, thanks to the success of Sensible's solo career and his number one hit with Happy Talk in 1982, interest in The Damned meant the album itself reached number 15, the band's most successful album to that point. Due to Sensible's commitment to his solo career, the group's next album in 1984 was a one-off side project recorded without him, with Jug stepping in on guitars. The band was renamed Naz Nomad and the Nightmares, and apart from two original songs, the album consisted of covers by garage rock and psychedelic bands that had originally influenced them. It was packaged as the soundtrack to an imaginary low-budget 1967 horror movie called Give Daddy the Knife, Cindy. Also in 1984, The Damned featured on the third episode of the second series of The Young Ones, where they played Nasty, a song written especially for the episode which was also entitled Nasty, a horror-themed episode which opens with a scene where Death is playing chess against his next victim, paying homage to The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman, and includes the housemates Rick, Vivian, Neil and Mike attempting to work a rented VCR to watch a video Nasty, and ending up being chased by a South African vampire played by Alexis Sayer. I've got a crucifix and I'm not afraid to use it! Yeah, yeah, take it easy, fam. You're messing with the big boys now. No, this is some kind of terrible misunderstanding. I'm not a vampire, I'm a driving instructor <laughs> from Johannesburg. who apparently dies, but returns from the grave, revealing himself as Harry the Bastard, an employee from the shop where they rented the video recorder, who demands £500 in late fees as the rental deadline elapsed while he was in the coffin. We never did get to watch the video. Have you got a video? <laughs> yes! We've got a video! Only Oh no, the video! If we don't get it back to Harry the Bastard by half past nine, we'll owe him 500 quid! What time is it? Half oh, oh, past nine! nine. <laughs> ah! I fooled you all! Oh, blimey! You fell for the oldest trick in the book, the old strange parcel routine. And you were completely taken in by my phony South African accent. Really? I thought you were Australian, like David Bowie. In fact... Harry the Bastard! The very same. And you owe me 500 quid. The Damned are in good company on this episode, as it also features Monty Python's Terry Jones, comedy duo Hale and Pace, Dawn French, and Blackadder III's Mrs Miggins herself, Helen Atkinson Wood. It was just after this that Sensible played his final show with The Damned at Brockwell Park, 
departing to focus on his solo career full-time. The whole band then adopted the gothic look that Vanian had pioneered since the beginning, giving them a more unified look. In October 1984, The Damned signed to MCA, a major label, on the strength of the track Grimly Fiendish, a song based around a children's comics character which was released as a single on the 18th of March 1985 and became the band's best-selling single, reaching number 21. MCA also released the single in Germany, Australia and Italy. The second single from the upcoming album was called The Shadow of Love and was easily the most gloomy and gothic-sounding record the band had released to this point. The song reached number 25 after its release on the 10th of June 1985. The Damned's fifth album, Phantasmagoria, which would also feature Grimly Fiendish, was recorded between March and June 85 at Eel Pie Studios, a riverboat converted into a studio by The Who's Pete Townsend in the 1960s, which made it easier for him to commute by boat after having his driving licence revoked. Vanian's deep voice delivery permeates the album, and the songs all fit pretty squarely into the goth rock genre. It was released in July 85 and outsold Strawberries charting at number 11, making it the Damned's highest charting album to date. The cover image of Susie Bick, future wife of Nick Cave, was taken by photographer Bob Carlos Clark at Kensal Green Cemetery, Harrow Road. Another hit from the album was the only somewhat lighter Is This a Dream, which was slightly remixed from the album version and released on the 9th of September and reached number 34 in the UK singles chart. It was also released in Australia, Germany, Spain, South Africa and Zimbabwe. In January 1986, The Damned released a non-album single, a cover of a 1968 hit by Barry Ryan called Eloise. The Damned changed the high-pitched love song into a dread-drenched tale of gothic yearning, and it became the group's highest UK chart placing to date, reaching number three. It was then, Vanian says, that the band was forced into Puck recording studios in Denmark by MCA in June 1986 to record the next album, Anything, to capitalise on the success of Phantasmagoria and Eloise, despite not having anything other than a demo for the song In Dulce Decorum. In July, the group took a break from recording to perform a 10th anniversary performance in London at the Town and Country Club, as well as two gigs in Finsbury Park where the group performed some songs that would appear on the new album and were joined by Captain Sensible to perform Smash It Up. On returning to Denmark, the group recorded a cover of Alone Again All, which Scabies thought was written by Jug, but had originally been recorded in 1967 by the American rock group Love. By the end of August, the album was completed, but not to the band's liking. Following these recording sessions, the dam toured Britain and Ireland in October and November, facing issues with technology, such as the brass parts for Psychomania creeping in when they were performing in Dulce Decorum, and having to use an emulator to recreate some of their studio sounds. I'll tell you to my clothes, 
The single Anything was released on the 6th of November and it signalled a move away from a gothic rock style to a slightly more mainstream rock sound, even featuring backing singers. It peaked at number 32 after some lukewarm reviews, a big step down from a number 3 hit. The album was released on MCA Records on the 1st of December 1986 in the UK, where it was deemed a commercial failure, charting for just two weeks and only peaking at number 40. A heavily edited version of the song Gigolo was released on the 23rd of January 1987, which had around two minutes of the intro cut from it to make it closer to four minutes. The intro is closely derived from the song Gigolo Aunt by Sid Barrett, which is also referenced in the lyrics of the song. Despite the single being released in a bewildering array of 7-inch variants pressed on standard black, green, blue, red and yellow vinyl, with all but the standard black version including a poster sleeve, probably a marketing gimmick to make it more collectible, the song only reached number 29 in the singles chart. The Damned continued to tour Europe until February, Australia in March and Japan in April, which coincided with the release of the third single, Alone Again All, the cover that Scabies didn't know was a cover. The single, aided by multiple format releases, including the first release by The Damned on CD, which also happened to have Eloise as its B-side, and a surreal video shot by Gerard de Thane, who has gone on to have a very successful career producing music videos and adverts. The single peaked at number 27 in the UK, and was the band's second single released in the US. In Dulce Decorum was released as the final single from the album, and also to promote the forthcoming compilation album, Light at the End of the Tunnel, on the 16th of November 1987. This was the Damned's final single to break the UK charts, topping out at number 72. The track was inspired by Wilfred Owen's poem Dulce et Decorum Est, and began with an excerpt from a speech by Winston Churchill to the House of Commons as the Battle of Britain began on the 18th of June 1940. In the United States, MCA released anything and in Dulce Decorum as singles, neither of which bothered the charts. In late 1987, The Damned began work on a new album for MCA, but the results of these sessions remain unreleased, as, due to the poor commercial performances of Anything and its singles, the record contract was dissolved. Two of these songs, Gunning for Love and The Loveless and The Damned, were later re-recorded by Dave Vanian's Phantom Chords side project. Brian James and Captain Sensible rejoined the group temporarily for a few live appearances, including a concert at the London Town and Country Club in June 1988, where each member of the various incarnations of the band took to the stage to perform the songs they played on record. This show was released the following year as Final Damnation, the Damned Reunion Concert. Following a farewell concert at London's Brixton Academy, supported by the Milk Monitors, Horse and Claytown Troupe, the band disbanded again, although various configurations of the band continued to perform live over the next five years. Although officially on hiatus, the group issued two singles in 1990. 
The first, Fun Factory, was a song recorded in 1982 by the Black Album lineup of Sensible, Vanian, Scabies and Grey. Intended for release as a single at the time, the bankruptcy of Chiswick Records prevented the release of the record for nine years. The second single, Prokofiev, was recorded by Scabies, Vanian and Brian James and was sold on a 1991 reunion tour of the US. The song had been recorded in June 1990 in Scabies' home studio and consists of a loop of the Stooges' song Gimme Danger, over which Brian James improvised guitar and sound effects and Vanian added vocals at a later point. A remixed version of this song would find its way onto the album Not Of This Earth in 1995. Following the breakup of The Damned in 1989, Vanian, Jug and Merrick formed The Phantom Chords, a rockabilly band with predictably goth tendencies, which played a mixture of original material and cover songs, with Brendan Mooney on second guitar and Clyde Dempsey on drums. I hear the voice of my God. In 1990, the debut single by the band, Johnny Remember Me, a cover of a Jeff Goddard song, was released on Polydor in Australia and M&G Records in the UK. Although an 11-track album was written and Polydor planned to release it, this didn't happen, and only two one-sided acetates of the album exist, although it has since become available through bootlegs. However, a promotional cassette was available for purchase at some of the venues the Phantom Chords toured in the United States in late 1993. The Phantom Chords released another single in 1992 through Camden Town Records. The song was Town Without Pity, a cover of a 1960s Dimitri Tjomkin, Ned Washington song from the film of the same name. Oh, in 1995, Donna O'Leary replaced Bryn Merrick on bass and, after touring Britain and the US, the band released a full-length album called David Vanian and the Phantom Chords on Big Beat Records. In 1993, Scabies reformed The Damned with guitarist Chris Dollimore, formerly of The Godfathers, and bassist Moose Harris, formerly of New Model Army. This group started producing demo songs and tried to get Vanian on board with singing on them, but Vanian, already playing in his Phantom Chords side project, was dismissive of the songs, so Scabies scrapped the entire project. He then teamed up with Alan Lee Shaw, who had previously played guitar for The Rings, The Manics, The Physicals and Brian James's band Brains. This time the material progressed further. Dollimore and Moose rejoined the project and singers were sought. Two of those considered were Joe Strummer and of all people, Robbie Williams, after Take That's recent breakup. Imagine Robbie Williams singing for The Damned. In the end, Vanian came around and completed the latest lineup of The Damned, which relegated the Phantom Chords to a side project, which has released nothing since 1995's self-titled album, although sporadic gigs did take place up until the end of 1999. Roman Jug at this time cut ties with both bands, only resurfacing with a solo album called Papa Loco in May 2004. 
Since then, he has produced and played guitar on Andy J. Gallagher's 2009 debut album Helicopter Dolphin Submarine and now plays accordion in an Irish folk rock band called Dirty Water, which he described in an interview as a good excuse for getting pissed. The group most recently played at Chinneries in South End Essex on the 21st of December in 2019 and was supposed to play there again on St Patrick's Day 2020, however the gig was cancelled due to the coronavirus pandemic. Guns N' Roses recorded New Rose for the Spaghetti Incident album in 1993, which, along with the Offspring's cover of Smash It Up on the Batman Forever soundtrack in 1995, enjoyed major label distribution and created more exposure for the dam to a younger audience. The latest reformation of the damned toured the US and Japan and, thanks to the group's popularity in Japan, Toshiba's record label arm offered the group the money to record its next album. The recording took place at a studio in Germany before additional tracks were overdubbed at the Stone Room Studios back in the UK. James Taylor of the James Taylor Quartet added Hammond organ to some tracks, while ex-Sex Pistol bassist Glenn Matlock played on the song Tailspin and Part of Never Could Believe. The resulting album, Not of This Earth, was released in Japan on the 11th of November 1995, with a remix of Prokofiev as an unlisted hidden track. In April 1996, the Marble Orchard label issued the album in the UK, now titled I'm Alright Jack and the Beanstalk, inspired by a phrase used by an acquaintance of Scabies. This had apparently been the planned title of the album all along, but had been considered too much of a mouthful for the Japanese market. The cover was a 3D lenticular design, using the Japanese artwork as a background for a risque animation. This version of the album was also issued in Germany and Sweden. The album also saw a release in the USA in 1996, but this release on the Cleopatra label was titled Not of This Earth once again, and featured totally different cover artwork. By this time the new lineup was already breaking up. Vanian wanted to continue touring to cover the costs of his divorce, and was also performing with his Phantom Chords project. Also, in another legal proceeding, Vanian and Sensible accused Scabies of releasing Not of This Earth without proper authorisation. Vanian and Scabies also disagreed about the writing on the album. A proposed tour of small venues was shelved, apart from a one-off show at Plymouth Cooperage, this lineup's final live performance, and the band split yet again in August 1995. Exactly a year later though, Vanian reformed The Damned once more, this time with Captain Sensible instead of Scabies. This lineup initially featured bassist Paul Gray, who was later replaced by Patricia Morrison, previously of Bags, The Gun Club and The Sisters of Mercy. Much confusion has sprung up around the Not of This Earth, I'm Alright Jack and the Beanstalk album. The Dam's official site formally carried the unhelpful message, not intended for release in this form, 
on its discography page of the album, and the music press often then referred to 2001's Grave Disorder as the album's first release since anything in 1986, and several sources even list it as a compilation album. To further the confusion about the album's name, Castle Music released it as I'm Alright Jack and the Beanstalk in the USA in 2002, with Imperial doing the same in Japan. Recently though, thanks to the ease of importing CDs and the rise of internet shopping, copies of the US release of Not of This Earth can be easily found in Europe, with Cleopatra also reissuing the album in the Damned box set in 1999. The solitary single from this album was Shut It, which was only released in the US in September 1996 and failed to chart. Scabies has gone on to collaborate with multiple musicians including Donovan, Neville Staples from The Specials, Dave Catching and Chris Goss from Queens of the Stone Age and Eagles of Death Metal, and Jane Horrocks. He's also released three solo albums, including 2018's PhD, Prison Hospital Debt, and three singles, including Chew On You from the PhD album. By 2000, The Damned consisted of Vanian, Sensible, Morrison and new recruits Monty Oxymoron on keyboards and Andy Pinching, or Pinch, a founding member of English Dogs on drums. Pinch replaced Gary Dreadful, another recruit from Sensible solo band, who played drums from 1997 to 99. In 2001, this version of The Damned released the album Grave Disorder on Nitro Records, which is owned by The Offspring's lead singer Dexter Holland. Grave Disorder is musically similar to Strawberries. It uses a combination of modern sampling and looping on tracks like Absinthe, gothic rock on Thrill Kill, punk rock on the tracks Neverland, Obscene and Amen, deep gothic piano pieces on Beauty and the Beast and The End of Time, and more traditional pop songs. Songs like W about the 2000 election of George W. Bush have a sound very reminiscent of Britpop. Song.com offers a tongue-in-cheek commentary on the internet, while Democracy, the album's only largely unsuccessful single, offers a rebuke of what they see as the futility of democracy and political revolution. A spring tour of the United States was planned in 2002, supporting US heavy metal act and horror film director Rob Zombie. However, the band dropped off after a few shows, with Captain Sensible saying gothic punk was completely lost on the predominantly metal crowds. In the summer they played the Vans Warp Tour. Morrison and Vanian married and had a daughter, Emily, born on the 9th of February 2004. Around this time, Morrison retired from performing with the band, though she remained involved as its manager. Her replacement on bass was Stu West. Coinciding with a tour date in Cambridge in December 2004, Vanian and Sensible were asked to turn on the Christmas lights in the city, replacing button-pressing regular Christopher Biggins. This caused a bit of a stir with church leaders. It is not appropriate for Christmas, said Reverend Stephen Leake of St Martin's Church in Cambridge. They are a punk rock band with very doubtful lyrics. He added that the council had not given much thought to the decision to invite the band, whose songs include Anti-Pope. The Reverend Dr Peter Graves of Wellesley Methodist Church in Cambridge said, We should not give a major function over to a group that goes out of its way to deny what Christmas is about. 
City centre manager Annette Joyce said, I did not anticipate it being a controversial switch on. I can imagine that being the case if it was 20 years ago. It's actually a mixed cultural event that promotes what's happening in Cambridge. Some think it's blasphemous, others think don't be ridiculous. A spokeswoman for the Dam said the group found it laughable that the church had decided to criticise them for something as trivial as turning on Christmas lights. She said they made no apology for their opinion or material. Sensible added, they could have booked Cliff Richard. How boring would that have been? The Damned released the single Little Miss Disaster on the 1st of December 2005 on their own label Lively Arts, as well as a live DVD, MGE 25, documenting a 2004 concert at the Manchester Academy which celebrated the 25th anniversary of Machine Gun Etiquette. Little Miss Disaster continued the gothic punk psychedelic sound style established on the Grave Disorder album, fast guitars and swirling keyboards topped off with a dramatic vocal. The single Sleeve featured the advertising mascot and comic book character Emily the Strange as a result of a collaboration between the band and the Emily the Strange website. As well as a CD release, a limited edition of 1,000 vinyl copies with a red splattered pattern was sold. The B-side, a live version of Antipope, was taken from the MGE25 DVD. On the 21st of October 2006, BBC Radio 2 broadcast an hour-long documentary titled Is She Really Going Out With Him? concerning the recording of the Dam's first single New Rose and the group's place in the 1976 punk scene, featuring interviews with James Sensible, Scabies, Glenn Matlock, Don Letts and Chrissy Hind. The programme discussed the bands and personalities around the scene, particularly the Anarchy in the UK tour. On the 28th of October 2008, The Damned released for download their 10th studio album, So Who's Paranoid, followed by a conventional release on the label English Channel on the 10th of November in the UK and the 9th of December in the US. To promote the album, the band made back-to-back appearances performing on the US TV talk show The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson on Halloween Eve and Halloween. So here tonight, the legendary British punk band performing the classic single Neat 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 from the album Damned Damned Damned. The Damned, everybody! The Damned! They then undertook a 23-date UK tour supported by Devilish Presley and Slick's Kitchen before returning to the US to play a set and conduct an interview on the Cherry Blossom Clinic on New Jersey radio station WFMU on the 16th of May 2009. In November 2009, The Damned joined an ex-bandmate who'd done alright for himself since the late 1970s, supporting Motorhead on the UK leg of their world tour. The Damned continued touring throughout the UK and Europe over the next few years, and in 2012 they played in South America for the first time, with dates in Sao Paulo and Buenos Aires, as well as festival slots in the UK. On the 12th of September 2015, former bassist Bryn Merrick, who played on the Phantasmagoria and Anything albums, died of throat cancer. At the time of his death, he'd been playing in a Ramones tribute band called the Shimones. In May 2016, The Damned played a 40th anniversary show at the Royal Albert Hall, 
and in the summer of 2017, Neat 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 was featured on the soundtrack to the Edgar Wright film Baby Driver. Later that year, in September, the band announced that Stu West was leaving and former bassist Paul Gray would be returning, and that they would be going into the Atomic Sound Studio in Brooklyn, New York City, to record their 11th album with producer Tony Visconti, who's best known for his work with David Bowie. The album was largely crowdfunded through Pledge Music. It's a funny time now because um, there's more music everywhere. I mean, it's literally in everything, and good music too. But there's, uh, there's not a lot of ways of artists getting paid for what they do, you know. There's a lot of free music out there as yeah. well. So uh, it's a tough time and there's, what, three record companies left maybe? So, and if you want to keep control and you really want to do what you want to do, this is the perfect way to do it. Yeah. But the thing for me about Pleasure so is cool. you get people to cough up for the record first because by the t- when, it, when the album comes out anyway, everyone downloads it. Nobody pays for music these yeah, days. That's it. So get the fans to cough up before the album's released is the only answer, isn't it, really? Yeah. Dave Vanian says, It was hearing Bowie's Black Star that made me think about working with Tony, particularly the title track. Being a long piece, where you go through all these different passages, it reminded me a bit of Curtain Call, the 17-minute epic off 1980's The Black Album, and what we do sound-wise generally. We wanted a modern album like that, but not to lose sight of what made his record so brilliant in the past. Plus, we've had young producers before, and where you're making references for them, They've never even heard of those records. Tony obviously was going to have that knowledge. Sensible added with charismatic gusto, his 70s records compare so favourably up against all the maxed-out, ultra-compressed auto-tuned guff that passes for records these days. We thought, there's a bloke who specialises in beautifully crafted, old-school production. But how could we ever afford him? Then someone mentioned this newfangled route of a Pledge Music campaign. All their graft on the road over the years soon paid dividends, as their freshly galvanised global fan base quickly coughed up a sum unimaginable to these lifelong DIYers. It turned out that Visconti, now 73, had first heard of The Damned from Mark Bolan in around 1977, and was shocked they'd never approached him before. He duly signed up without hearing a note of prospective music, which was probably a good thing, because the band hadn't actually finished writing any of the songs for the album yet. Sensible said of the album, We deliberately recorded retro style, the same way our debut album was made, basically. There's something wonderful about the 70s sounds, glam, rock and punk records. They all sound so great, and Tony specialises in beautifully crafted old-school production. He has us all playing live, bashing it out in the same room with a focus on getting the initial version of each song as close as possible to the finished thing. The album took nine days to record and was preceded with the single Standing on the Edge of Tomorrow, a hurtling, Scott Walker-esque chamber pop song on the 19th of January 2018. Evil Spirits, the band's first album in 10 years, was released on the 13th of April 2018. It peaked at number seven on the UK album chart, their first ever top 10 album, and the best commercial performance since Phantasmagoria, which reached number 11 in 1985. It also garnered some of the best reviews for The Damned in years. Zachary Hoskins of Slant magazine said, The Damned sounds like the same band they were 35 years ago. 
While it's admittedly hard not to miss the explosive presence of drummer Rat Scabies, Sensible's lashing power chords on The Devil in Disguise are a welcome reminder that this is still technically a punk band, and David Vanian's baritone has aged into a powerful growl, reminiscent of latter-day Nick Cave. While Evil Spirits isn't a late-career masterpiece, Visconti's production shops have at least ensured a warm and rich listening experience. Ian Rushbury of Pop Matters said Evil Spirits is a strong, weirdly timeless album. It's hard to pin this record down to a point in time. It certainly doesn't sound like 2018, but it sure as eggs is eggs doesn't sound like it's from 1978 either. It sounds like a band stretching out and having fun in a studio under the watchful eye of someone who is accustomed to working with mavericks and outcasts. Three more singles were released from the album, Devil in Disguise and Look Left in March and Procrastination in April. None of the album's four singles made a dent in the charts, but the charts have changed a lot in the last decade, so that's hardly surprising. Vanian has said of making the album, it can get difficult if you've got a history of good songs, because you can too easily rely on playing those songs. You could do that forever, but then you become a nostalgia story and this band has always predominantly gone forwards. We think this album shows we're a relevant band now, and not just a bunch of old guys making an album because they have to, or because that's what you do. It really shows what we're capable of again. What we really want to do is work on new material, yeah. which we'll be doing next year. You know, we're not quite finished yet. I mean, we could go on forever playing the old song. We've got a good fan base, people come and see us, we have a great time, we do the songs well, but there's always a, you know, we want to challenge ourselves and we feel that we're not quite done with that. And each album's different. We've never repeated ourselves. Yeah. From the 23rd of May 2019, The Damned went on tour performing their third album, Machine Gun Etiquette, which they hadn't played in full since its release in 1979. Hours after it began, a massive fire at Universal Studios in California was still raging. On the 25th of June, the New York Times published an expose into the fire that had destroyed part of Universal Studios Hollywood in 2008 and listed The Damned and Captain Sensible among hundreds of artists whose material was reportedly destroyed in the fire. The fire started on the 1st of June 2008 on the back lot of the film studio and theme park after a worker, using a blowtorch to warm asphalt shingles that were being used to apply a facade, left before checking that all the spots had cooled. Nine firefighters and a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy sustained minor injuries. The fire was only extinguished after 12 hours. Universal Pictures claimed that the fire destroyed a three-acre portion of the Universal backlot, including the King Kong Encounter attraction, as well as over 40 to 50,000 archived digital video and film copies. The New York Times investigative reporter Jody Rosen asserted that the fire had also destroyed Building 6197, which housed material belonging to Universal Music Group and its acquired labels, including Chess, Decca, MCA, Geffen, Interscope, A&M, Impulse and their subsidiary labels. This included original recordings belonging to some of the best-selling artists worldwide, an estimated 118,000 to 175,000 album and 45 single master tapes, phonograph master discs, lacquers and acetates, as well as all the documentation contained in the tape boxes.
Many tapes contained unreleased recordings, such as outtakes, alternative versions of released material, and instrumental submaster multitracks created for dubbing and mixdown. Randy Aronson, manager of the Vault at the time, estimates that the masters of as many as 500,000 individual songs were lost. Among the losses were the entire AVI Records catalogue, all of Decker's masters from the 1930s to the 1950s, most of the original chess masters, which included artists such as Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, as well as most of John Coltrane's master tapes from his later career on Impulse Records. Rosen tweeted that the documents also listed several Broadway cast recordings among the tapes destroyed. Additionally, several non-musical audio recordings were reported as destroyed, including the original recording of Martin Luther King Jr.'s 1968 Remaining Awake During a Revolution speech. Following the publication of Rosen's articles, several affected musicians posted reactions on social media, with some noting specific tapes that may have been lost. For instance, singer-songwriter Jill Sobule said that she had lost two masters in the fire, including tapes for an unreleased album produced by Joe Jackson. UMG initially disputed the story, saying it contained numerous inaccuracies and fundamental misunderstandings of the scope of the incident and affected assets, but was unable to disclose details due to constraints. But CEO Lucian Grange later confirmed in an email to staff that there had been a significant loss of musical archives. He wrote, While I've been somewhat relieved by early reports from our team that many of the assertions and subsequent speculation are not accurate, one thing is clear. The loss of even a single piece of archive material is heartbreaking. He added that it was completely unacceptable that their artists did not know the details and pledged to deliver answers. On the 21st of June, five plaintiffs, singer-songwriter Steve Earle, the estates of the late Tupac Shakur and Tom Petty, and the band's Hole and Soundgarden, filed a class-action lawsuit in federal court against UMG. In their complaint, they claimed UMG never told artists about the effects of the fire and had breached their contracts by failing to properly secure its master tape collection. They further allege that UMG did not share insurance or legal payouts received as a result of the fire. The lawsuit also alleges that Universal had compiled a master inventory list of master tapes that had been destroyed. The plaintiffs sought to recover half of any insurance payments UMG received from the fire and half of any losses that were not covered by those settlements. An uninvolved industry attorney told Billboard that the case concerned property rights, as in whether UMG or the artists own the master tapes. A month after the story broke, UMG archivist Patrick Krauss issued an internal note to Universal staff, which claimed that only 22 original master recordings by five artists were lost in the fire, and backup copies had been found for each lost master. He added that UMG has been fielding questions from over 200 artists and their representatives. Krauss said his team had reviewed over 26,000 assets by 30 artists. From that sample, 424 assets, including 349 audio recordings, might have been lost due to the fire. On the 17th of July, Universal moved to dismiss the lawsuit. On the 16th of August, Hull dropped out after UMG assured them that the band's masters were not affected by the fire. 
slightly over a month later, UMG also claimed that Shakur, Earl and Petty did not lose their masters in the fire, but that an investigation with Soundgarden was still ongoing. Five days later, Universal demanded Soundgarden drop the suit, which the label had also moved to dismiss, citing documentary proof that the label had informed the band about the Lost Masters in 2015 and accusing their lawyer of failing to conduct pre-suit diligence in your rush to be the first to file. The surviving band members declined, saying their arbitrary deadlines have zero force or effect. Howard King, their attorney, told Rolling Stone, until UMG reveals what it collected for their litigation claims to extensive damage to master recordings, we cannot accept their belated claim that no damages were actually suffered. Universal's dismissal motion also publicly confirmed that master tapes of Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger album had been destroyed in the fire, and that members of the group had been made aware of the destruction in 2015 while they were working on a remaster of the album that was eventually completed with a backup safety copy. On November 4th, 2019, a lawyer representing Universal claimed the artists would receive no compensation. In December, District Court Judge John Kronstadt ruled that Universal must hand over discovery evidence and denied the label's request to postpone the delivery. A February 2020 court filing by UMG confirmed that master tapes from at least 19 artists had been damaged or destroyed in the fire. The artists that UMG confirmed affected were Brian Adams, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead, David Bearwald, Beck, Cheryl Crow, Peter Frampton, Jimmy Eatworld, Elton John, Michael McDonald, Nirvana, Les Paul, R.E.M., Slayer, Sonic Youth, Soundgarden, The Surfaris, Suzanne Vega, White Zombie and Y&T. In March 2020, Soundgarden, the Shakur estate, and Steve Earle dropped out of the lawsuit, leaving just Tom Petty's widow as the only remaining plaintiff. The lawsuit was dismissed by Judge Kronstadt on the 6th of April 2020. Back to the damned, Pinch announced on the 25th of October 2019 that he would be leaving the band after 20 years. His last gig was at the London Palladium on the 27th of October 2019. So far, a replacement drummer has yet to be named. In the early days, reflects an unapologetic Vanian, so much of the focus was on our craziness as people, and not enough was said about the fabulous music we were creating. Looking back, maybe we were our own worst enemies sometimes. We'd do gigs where we were out of it and drunk. Brilliant gigs, but for different reasons. Captain would send me careering off the stage, and then it was just a case of getting your own back. We were termed punk, but in the press at least, that became a niche, where it only did certain things. That's never what it was about. But we then became the outsiders, staying true to the original ethos. We always believed in it, being more open-minded and variable, and that's what we've tried to maintain over the years. Where the damned's peers either burnt out or faded away into mediocrity, this most spiritually chaotic of all punk groups have never been away, for very long at least, never surrendered their ideals, and always forged onwards. The Damned is a punk band, Jim, but not like one we've ever known. Long live the Damned.
thank you for listening to this episode of Band Biographies. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for Band Biographies, or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.